home brewing here? No. Havix is a respectable food service establishment with an FF1 license. And that's why you have drunken fights in it. Drunken fight, singular. It's because of the bad water in the village, it's nothing to do with illegal spirits. The water thing's getting bad, huh? Yeah. The whole thing went to shit last week. It turned black in some homes. Poor fuckers are too close to the mine. Well, there's talk of protesting. Again? Mm. How's my sister doing? She's doing all right. I mean, it's only one in town that doesn't love my pancakes. So... Hey, 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 hey! Cut it out! One of these days, those dogs are gonna eat you. Nah. Me and this girl, we go way back. Huh, gorgeous? <laughs> she thinks she's real tough, you know? You come close, she snaps at you, but... Deep down, she's a softie. Yes, she is. She just needs a little love and affection. And then she's gonna melt. <laughs> For fuck's sake, Kavik. Cut it out. Will I see you tonight? Nope, busy. Right, I still need my toothbrush. Casting. I'm your host, Lisa Zambetti. I'm a casting director, CBS's Criminal Minds, a pilot for Reservation Dogs, and actually I have a new game, I guess for video games too, and a new game that I worked on. The trailer just dropped. It's the new Indiana Jones, The Great Circle game. So if you're into games, I'm super excited to finally see what those scenes that I read over and over and over again now look like. I'm so excited. Uh, but that's not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about the mystery of the melting murder popsicle with my wing man dean laughing dini weenie say hi hi or as we say uh down here famously g'day folks uh pleasure to be here and very excited for this particularly special episode lisa will explain oh my god okay so you know we're going to be talking about true detective episode two and this morning i woke up and i had this idea and i don't often have ideas but this morning dean i had an idea i thought you know what you had a doozy i had a doozy and i'm like i'm gonna just shoot my shot i e- took sent one email to an agency that i'd worked with before and i made an ask and they immediately said yes and because of that joining us today is the one and only kavik am i saying that right is it kavik that's correct kavik, yes. the one and only kavik, kavik joel mm-hmm. montgrand am i pronouncing your name right very close, yeah. Joel de Montgran. Montgran. Yeah, like uh, Mont Blanc. Yeah. Well, it's great to be here. Thank you. And where are you coming to us from? I'm uh, actually joining you from my apartment in Vancouver, Canada. Beautiful. I just visited there with my sons. We went there. It was a little graduation present for them. I love Vancouver. So you're not coming to us from Ennis, Alaska, um, <laughs> where your character resides. Um, I'm so happy to have you here. It's such an incredible show. Dean and I love when we get obsessed with a show. We deep dive. We take it apart. We, you know, and it's always so great to have somebody from the show, whether it's one of the directors or the actors or the writers. So welcome. Yeah. Thank and- you. Tell us about your character, who he is. Um, if you want to tell us about the casting journey, that's always great. I'm always interested as a casting director. The great Francine Maisler cast this show. So you want to tell us about that journey? 
Sure. Yeah, I, I guess I could start at the beginning. It's always a great spot. Um, originally, the character was funny enough called Kanak, but that means crazy in Inupiaq. So they, uh, they changed it. They changed right. it. Yeah, Kanak. And funnily enough, that actually stayed in the back of our minds during some takes. We'd just randomly accidentally say the wrong name. I like Kavik a lot more. Uh, means Wolverine. But during the Ooh. casting process, this came down the line and... Uh, I just, you know, got it like anything else. I'm a, a Cree man. And uh, so it is asking for a Nupiak part. I was like, well, all right, you know, I'll try it out. Let's see what goes on. And I read him. I immediately got a bead on what this guy was. And so I went with my instinct, you know, filmed the thing, sent it off, not thinking too much. Got a call back as you do. Then I got a, a chemistry read with Kaylee. It, it was on Zoom because it was um, right in the middle of COVID and everything too. And of course, so we're doing this chemistry read. And uh, I don't know what to expect because I'd never been on um, something as high profile as this at that point. I had just gotten the part for Avatar, The Last Airbender, Hakoda, but uh, it's not that big of a part in first season. And uh, so I was like, OK, let's see. And uh, she comes in immediately. Issa's no nonsense. She's like, hi, nice to meet you. I'm Issa. This is Kaylee. Hi, hi, hi. This is Joel. Great. This is going to take 12 minutes, 15 at the most. And then I'll give you a note in, in the middle. We'll do another scene. That's it. I was like, oh, okay. So immediately she just goes, okay, you ready? Whenever you're ready, start. And I was like, oh, doing my thing. She gives me a quick little note. Uh, I roll with it again, change up the scene a little bit. And then she goes, thank you, bye. And I went, well, didn't get that. <laughs> so, you know, given how intimate your two characters are it's kind of amazing isn't it that you didn't meet in person i mean you know you have a fairly graphic sex scene in the first episode that is very connected and and very important i think for establishing certainly navarro's mm -hmm. character in some ways to not have a chemistry read in person is kind of batshit isn't it i, I mean, felt that way yeah I'd, I'd never had a chemistry read without someone there so it it, it mm -hmm. was really nerve-wracking and again i guess it just added to the letting go of it because i honestly i thought zero percent chance i'm like yeah well i'm not gonna lose any sleep over that because that was you know there's no, no way that yeah, yeah you have to. You have to just let it yeah, go. Exactly. And I, I just thought maybe it's just one of those times where they have someone else in mind immediately and they're just kind of, well, we've booked all these guys off and someone took the part that they offered. Who knows? You know? So I was like, mm -mm. all right, bye bye. So then you get the call from your agency character's agency. What was that like? I was actually doing um, emergency personnel sim training, side actor work. So, you know, and I, I'm working with the emergency yeah. services and I'm, I'm people on scene and I'm freaking out and all that stuff. And I get this thing. So I run off in a break and I'm like, hey, uh, yeah, I missed that call. What's what's happening? And she told me and my friends that were there, they heard me from across the building, like screaming. <laughs> My head off. Yeah. <laughs> I knew it was, uh, yeah, I was thrilled. I knew that this was um it's because he's such a great, a great layered character. There's so many elements that we have yet mm. to see, of course, but um I mean you saw a lot already, I suppose. There's a famous story of Body Heat, the Lawrence Kasdan neo-noir thriller that was with Kathleen Turner and William Hurt. Certainly in my top three of best neo-noir films of all time. But that was Kathleen Turner and William Hurt. Uh, they'd never met. And they had this very hot sex scene and it was supposed to occur, you know, day 12 of shooting and then something happened and they had to switch it around. It was the first scene they did together 
So they're fully nude. Uh, you know, this is back in 80 something. So not a lot of oversight uh, by, you know, the intimacy coordinator was uh, not even invented then. It was like, that would be a tough gig. So then for you to turn up and do this, it's uh, along similar lines, but must have been difficult. It was, uh, yeah, that I know for Kaylee, that was her single most, most feared scene to get into right. she was talking about mm. um but again with the invention of intimacy coordinators and a big shout out to ours uh lucy fennel uh amazing amazing job um amazing human being so you get the call and so this was did you shoot in iceland we did yeah we did and that makes sense because during covid that was one location that was so well controlled because i think it's just like one airport in one airport out mm-hmm. and so i know a lot of productions turned to iceland to shoot there so how long from when you got the call uh, that you got the role to when you are wheels up and wheels down in iceland well i went in there for the um, the table read with all the cast um that's what they initially had me down for and also just to kind of get the feel and and um yeah. we were doing prep work with the intimacy coordinator and, and things like mm-hmm. that too and that was about a month and a half after i got the call and in that time too i was training like an absolute madman because uh that was part of the casting process they were like okay well you're a bit too daddish, you know, <laughs> and it was two months because I went there for two weeks, came back, still working out and then flew back for my week of filming when I was there for another two weeks because you have to get into it. And uh, then they brought me back because Issa wrote me another scene, which is lovely. Yeah, it was 25 pounds I dropped, I think, in that time, mm. um, wow. which was crazy for two months of work. I was going, you know, gymming every day, sometimes twice a day, and a crazy diet. Uh, Listener, I just want to let you know that it seems weird to not film in North America and go all the way to Iceland. But in an interview I read with Issa, she noted that when they scouted the locations, they realized that if they were to film in Alaska at that time of year, it was so cold, not that it wasn't cold in Iceland, as uh, Joel would attest, but it was so cold that the cameras would have frozen. They would have just locked up and not worked. And also the, the logistics, um, wow. so the, the the infrastructure for filmmaking around Iceland, as you said, Lisa, has had a lot of filmmaking done there. It was more contained and it actually made sense to pick up and just do the whole thing in Iceland. So that's one of those inside baseball things where for regular just, you know, punters and the viewers of the show go, why on earth would you fly halfway around the world to film when you've got snow in, you know, North America, Canada, for that matter? where a lot of film was made, but um, apparently that was the reason. So there you go. And tax breaks. Oh, yes. Yes, <laughs> no doubt. No and doubt. tax breaks. Right, 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 right. right. Um, but that's quite a big thing because you've got to take all the crew, you know, and you've got to. And I know that a lot of the actors, Joel, also came from Greenland. You know, there, you're, there weren't that many, I wouldn't imagine, Indigenous actors or, you know, actors in Iceland, but I yeah, think they came absolutely. from nearby. Uh, yeah, Aka, um, Anna's uh, from Northwest Territories, or I should say Nunavut, not Northwest Territories. That's my old uh, Canada. I don't know if you know, but Northwest Territories got split in half. Actually, just on that topic, Joel, since you brought it up, it's an interesting topic about Indigenous people or Aboriginal people is another word that's often used both in Canada, North America, mm-hmm. and certainly the Aboriginal people in Australia. So I wanted to understand, just from stalking you on IMDb, I knew that you grew up in treaties six and 10 in a town called Prince Albert, which is in Saskatchewan. Yeah. Go readers, by the way. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> it's yeah. a local, that's a local hockey, hockey team. So what is 
a treaty. It seems to be like a geographical thing, like a reservation. Do I have that correct? Not a reservation. No, there's reservations are communities within uh, a treaty territory. Treaty uh, territories were groups, a a large area of land where um, there was some consultation with uh, the chiefs of the area, and they all came together and agreed on terms and conditions as as to the treaties. Um, And that's when they signed, and there was these sections that were all signed off. And and some some lands were completely unseated, like out here in uh, British Columbia. They never they never did sign any treaties. Uh, the land has just been stolen completely, in even more so than, than Got it. Uh, right. treaty territory. Yeah, yep, yep, understood. And your hometown of um, Prince Albert, I again just Wikipedia ring. It's basically majority Indigenous. And so, by the way, is Indigenous the correct term, the preferred term for First Nations people? It's a encompass all encompassing term, indigenous, uh, but uh, depends on who you're talking to. Uh, I prefer First Nations because uh, that's we consider ourselves the First Nations of of the land, our tribe. Uh, but we're not a monolith at all. Uh, you know, every every tribe, every group of people have their own mm-hmm. beliefs and, and uh, yep. sense of what to be called and referred to as. So, indigenous is is a, a pretty safe. It's beautiful um, country. It is. It is. My hometown actually is uh, Sandy Bay and LaRange, even further up north. But that's where right. I went to high school. Is it cowboy country? Is that what happens up there or is it not? It, it looks like it would be, but I don't know. Yeah, up north, not so much. Uh, the south is definitely all the prairies, all the flatlands are where all the cowboys is. But country music is weirdly huge in the north. It's uh, the, <laughs> the go-to music. Yeah, old classic rock and country that's what everyone was listening to when I was growing up. Well, it looks beautiful in the summer when all the trees are out. And then, of course, it's snowbound a lot of the time. I did note that it's minus 17C on average in winter. So you'd be well accustomed to working in uh, somewhere, living in somewhere like Ennis after that. I oh, see. yeah. Uh, even further where I grew up, it was it would get down to minus 40 at, at stretches. And uh, oh. like, I mean, it's, so, it's oh. so cold when you blinked, your eyes would literally freeze shut. You oh. know, and then you had to like put your fingers over them to open them up again. <laughs> it was wild. It's crazy. Yeah. Anyway, all right, let's move on. Okay, so let's turn back to your character. Just talk about him a bit. Sure, yeah, Kavik. When I was looking at the character, um, I had an impulse, and I thought, this is uh, a very, like, and there was a description, of course, but I I, I went with uh, the idea of this man being an extremely rugged, capable, tough, traditional alpha tropes um, all mixed Mm -hmm. in there, but without that toxicity mm-hmm. um, the toxicity yeah you know, yeah it, it's gone this mm-hmm. this guy was like this guy was raised by matriarchs strong women powerful women mm-hmm. he understands this he would never try to uh you know take a role or, or push anyone in certain direction at all um i think he was a, a guy that mm-hmm. was raised right and uh i really tried to bring that into uh what was i was showcasing turns out it was the right move because in the audition again he said immediately even though I had no clue, she's a great actor. Uh, she, she, I thought I was completely dismissed, but she said uh, to uh, her assistant, Blake, that's the guy, that's the guy I want right now. Yeah. As a professional casting director, when I saw you on screen, I'm not just kissing her. This is literally my job. This is my profession to assess actors. And when I saw you on screen, I was like, who is that? And it's just because you had that settledness to you. And like you say, he's a dude's dude. You know, he's he's completely all very masculine, but not threatening, not threatened by Navarro Mm -hmm. and not threatening, not needing to dominate her. And that is so, I just love the gender dynamics in your relationship, how, you know, in this episode, you're taking a bath with candles and I'm like, 
Yeah. Yes, you know, and you're making pancakes and, you know, you're very yeah. much a caretaker. You know, not only are you a barkeep, which is just a, a fantastic role to be, you know, um, mm-hmm. but there's something about you that was just very in your body, very settled, like you know yourself. And this is something as an acting teacher, you know, you try to teach actors to know themselves and walk in as themselves as much as in the character. And so you really popped out because of that. So talk to us about your relationship with Navarro, his relationship with her, at least as far as we've seen so far. Can you want to describe it for us? There's definitely emotional attachment going one way in in, in this river. Uh, that's, a, that's a lot stronger for sure. Kavik is the kind of guy that, again, trying to be a decent, a decent person and uh, a decent lover. Mm-hmm really mm-hmm. trying. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's an interesting dynamic because I think if you look at it with the genders reversed, you wouldn't be so on board mm-hmm. with it. Like people would say, oh, this is this is rough. That's what's so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. If, if some dude walked into a woman's bathroom while she was taking a bath and was like so aggressive, like let's fuck or or the way that, that she treats you. Yeah, we would definitely be bumping on it. But somehow it works in this world. Why do you, you know? Do you feel that too? I mean, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I do. I mean, they have a, it's a unique relationship and we're really, um, we knew going into it, what was the ask, you know, how to, how do we actually go down that razor's edge of making this relationship, which again, it's somewhat gendered reversed in in a lot of the elements, but actually making it so that it doesn't uh, become this awful toxic Mm -hmm. thing. You know, it's something that, that they would both Mm -hmm. want. And so, I mean, well, we'll just have to see how it goes, but. uh, Right. And then you're also taking care of her sister too. I mean, you've given her sister a job. And so that's like, you you have kind of become much, that's much more intimate. I mean, that's part, you're part of the family now. You're, you're, you're literally putting food on the table in some ways. So that's cool. Well, I I, I grew up in a, in a small community and that's just kind of how it is too. Everyone has to look out for each other. I mean, especially in the North, if there was anyone with any, any issues, there was, Everyone in town knew who these people were, if they had any type of uh, uh, mental issues or, or anything like that. And the community kind of watches out. Mm, Prince Albert's uh, like just under 40,000 sort of people. It's uh, Yeah, that's when I moved. I moved when I was in my teens, when I was 15. Uh, and the smaller town that I lived at was uh, just under 3,000. Right. So that's very intimate. Like you said, there's no, everybody knows everybody's business, even not necessarily in a sticky beak way, but it's just, you know, you live your life and and it's it's there to see for everybody. So, um, yeah, yeah. I, I think just getting back to um, to Kavik, that that scene in the bath was great. I love the fact that she says, "Hey, let's fuck," and you're kind of reticent. <laughs> and then she just sort of she can see her processing it, going, "Wait a minute!" And then she just intuits that you've just jerked off. And then you're kind of like you're like oh, busted, and it's like, yeah. "Can you just get out of my bathroom, please?" Yeah. And then you go make make pancakes. That is just brilliant writing. I just absolutely love it. Said you weren't coming. Hey, Kavik. Could give me a heart attack. Change my mind. Wanna fuck? Oh, you jerked off. Watching porn? I'm um, no. I'm just. What kind of porn are you watching? Can we just like watch a movie? And... Porn movie? Get out! I'm getting dressed. 
on that topic of bodies and and you and it's uh so it's Kaylee K A L I but Kaylee is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Not That's Carly. Right. Okay. I was. I guess not so surprised, but interested to see that all the ink that she carries in the TV series is all her own. And do you yeah. do you have ink, or are you are you clean skin? No, I do. I have a coyote actually on my back, and and my uh, my tribe uh, coyote is the trickster. Is you balance between mm. good and evil, light dark. Uh, to always remember that for all the good, there will be bad. For all the bad, there will be good. Oh, very good. What about you, Lisa? Have you got one? Have I got tattoos? I I do. Yeah. I do have a couple. Okay. Yeah. You, you don't need you don't need to. Okay. You don't need to overshare if it's up no, to you. It's but okay. I just thought I'd ask. The line I normally use is there's me and some guy above the Arctic Circle in the North Pole are the only two people in the world that don't have a tattoo. You know, every barista and my all my kids have them. My wife has one and I don't have one. And uh it sort of reminds me of Lisa, did your time at the actor's studio crossover with James Lipton? Were you there? Yeah, he was my boss. Oh, he was your boss. Okay, great. Well, of course, famously wow. he's he's on record every single uh you know interview that he has with someone with tattoos he's always asking them you know what about it and he's lusting after a tattoo but his wife would never let him have one so until the time he died the poor guy i don't think he ever did yeah. get his tattoo even though he badly wanted one so let's turn to the episode so this uh this episode Joel, you know, the town as a character is becoming clearer. Relationships mm-hmm. are becoming clearer. And I, what I love about the writing is that it doesn't feel like exposition. It's like we're really earning the really intimate peaks that we're getting between everybody's character from Navarro's relationship with Rose um, yeah. uh, and uh, Danvers, many relationships and all of the bodies she's left in her wake as far as her former lovers. And just everybody's mm-hmm. relationship is coming into clearer focus on what the norm is. Is for Ennis, that it's a place of great mystery and spirituality where ghosts walk among us. It's sort of like just an understood folklore. What about episode two do you stands out the most? What I'm really enjoying, again, is the relationship with the sisters. You know, uh, that silly driving scene where she starts to sing and you see, like you're seeing more of this love and care that's mm-hmm. really coming out. And on the opposite end, you're starting to see and understand why why Jody is is such a Alaska Karen as she's called her character before. Yeah, <laughs> you know? I saw that. Like, I saw her. Say yeah, that, yeah. Why? What would make her that way? I'm really enjoying this series. It's really wild to be a a big fan of something that yeah. I can get. Yeah, you know, I forget until I come on screen. I'm oh, oh yeah, that's right, that's me there. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, on that note, uh, Joel, I just wanted to ask. This is a naive question, so because I'm not in the business as you and Lisa are, uh, but listeners will probably want to hear as well. Once it wraps and once it's finalised and it's going to be broadcast, does the the cast get a screening of the entire thing, or do you have to wait and and wait till it drops like we do? Oh yeah, we're wait. We're I mean, the the leads did. Uh, for sure, Jody and and Kaylee they they watched they watched the series beforehand, and then the rest of us had to wait. Other than I did see a few things where I was doing ADR work for. Oh yeah. Um. So it is very very limited. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm really I'm really excited. I'm watching this. I'm getting to see a lot of my friends perform mm-hmm. for the first time. Uh. And and I again I'm so thrilled that because there's no lack of indigenous talent out there. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, you you would know obviously Lisa. I mean, going through the the plethora of people that you went through for for the pilot, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's it's just a matter of finding the right person to fit the right role and there's so much luck involved in this. I mean, I've been mm. uh, I've been I've been grinding away for 10 years myself and now it seems like it's turning. Yeah, it- but that in itself Joel is a classic story like uh, <laughs> as Lisa uh, observed on the pod in the last episode, you just up and decided you were going to become an actor 
And she said, when she was looking at your IMD page, she goes, this is the thing that I tell actors will never happen. You can't just decide you're going to become an actor and then walk in somewhere without a headshot, without, you know, a bio, without anything and just get cast. <laughs> and yet you got, you got cast in four of your five you know, calls, right? It's like, it's insane. Yeah. That was wild. I was living hand to mouth. I mean, I, I couldn't afford the bus. I was walking four hours across the city. And I was I was actually doing community theater. I, I started doing community theater when I was a teenager. And uh, a friend, when I moved to Vancouver, I was in a show and they just said, you're good at this. Why don't you actually do it seriously? And I was like, I don't know how. Mm. <laughs> I, I, I have no idea what that step is. And, and fortunately for me, they went to school with my now agent at an acting thing. And then she became an agent and said, I have an old friend that works at this place. Go down there. Go down there. And I was like, Okay, so I just went down there with her name and I was like, hello. Mm. And the secretary wasn't at the desk and I just wandered in and I was like, hello, hello. And then I showed up <laughs> and she's like, who are you? And, you know, <laughs> yeah. And the I rest did, is I history. Resume, mm. you know? And I booked that first gig on Bates Motel. The director at the time, my line was Dylan Massett is here. I walked in with my resume, which only had community theater on it. And, and my headshots would cost me the only $500 to my name. That was my life saving. <sighs> wow. Jesus. And he, uh, he looked at this thing. Uh, I ended up booking this part. I did my part on set. I left. I ran into him as I was leaving. And he was like, hey, great job today. By the way, in your audition, you, you got that line wrong. And I just figured, ah, what the fuck? Give him a job. Right. Well, that's all it takes. Well, this is this is the thing. It's like what actors don't realize is that if he was in a different mood, he might have been like, oh, I can't rely on that dude to get the line right. But But he was in a certain mood. And he wanted to take a chance on you. You can't control that. Right. I mean, all you can do is come in and do the best you can. And everybody has to start somewhere. So I'm not I wasn't trying to diss you that you had no credits and you just walked into your agent's office. Obviously, you have to start somewhere. But to start immediately booking, that's really special. You know, that's really special. And that and that comes to what you're saying. You had a life. You you were you had experience. You have something behind your eyes that we mm. can intuit when we see you, and that's that's just gold. So I just love it. But let, let's get back to the episode for a second. Well, just, yeah, but just before we do, Lisa, that point that you just made about what you see behind Joel's eyes, Joel, this process that you just described happened after, I guess, I'm assuming that you went, you became a bit of a global nomad, didn't you? You sort of traveled around a lot. You went to, oh, yeah. I think you went to, you went to South Africa and then a whole bunch of other places. What was it that drew yeah. you to a place like South Africa? And what, what time span are we talking? When were you there? Wow. Wow. Yeah. I'm surprised you guys. Uh, wow. Someone's doing research. Good for you. Uh, yeah. That's why we have Dean. Absolutely. Wow. Thank you. Well, thank you, Dean. Yeah. I, um, what happened was I was teaching English in Korea for about three years and I had saved up enough money that, yeah, I just felt the call of the world. I was, mm. I was very reckless, you know, and young, young, invincible sort of feel. Yeah, but should be. Yeah. That's what your twenties yeah. are for. My God. So, yeah, exactly. So I uh, ended up buying a bunch of tickets to go to uh, New Zealand. I was doing the Commonwealth tour basically. Right. I went down to New Zealand yep. then South Africa and then up to the UK. And I was, so I was living in each spot for a little bit. And uh yeah, I ended up in South Africa because I was chasing love with the wrong woman. Um, <laughs> who, again, you know, this is also tremendously naive. You know, I'm used I'm used to racism. Being an indigenous man in, in mm-hmm. North America, you're used to it. And, mm. and being indigenous, uh, that is First Nations elsewhere in the world, is very cool. Being it in Turtle Island, not so much. You're going to run into a lot of obstacles. So I was having a grand old time, went down there, and then went to see this woman that I had met in Korea, Long story short, she turned out to be 
terribly racist. And uh, I had to get out of there pretty quickly. And then I went to the UK and ended up in Scotland. And that's why Scotland's one of my favorite places in the world now, because it brought me from a mm. tremendous a tremendous depression of heartbreak and mm. looking at the disparity between these peoples, you know, and then, um, and of course my heart was breaking for South Africans mm. there and then going up to, um, Scotland. And, uh, that's where my ancestry's from a bit on my dad's side. I, I don't know my dad's uh, family at all that well. And, but I was like, Hey, I, I got some ancestors around here. That's kind of cool. Mm. And then I ended up, um, getting into improv up there for a little bit and, uh, cutting my teeth a bit that way too. There's no better training than improv. I always say that to people. Yeah. So what struck me is that this episode, how much grief is revealed. It's like, it feels like almost every character has got a grief story from, you know, Rose losing her husband, Travis, um, who has a whole backstory and his whole Easter egg to the beginning of, of um, mm -hmm. True Detective. And as you, Navarro's mom, there's a lot of grief there. But then also it's revealed that Danvers's son, somehow she's lost him. And, you know, there's a lot of grief that she seems to be grinding against kind of is what's driving her. What are your thoughts about that, Joel? Yeah. I say, uh, look at the real life uh, effects that a lot of this uh, harsher condition can have. But like my family was all into mining as well uh, growing up, and but they work in fly in and out mines. So, you know, they're gone and that can break up a lot. You're dealing with not to live in trauma. I always hate living living in the trauma, but it is a reality that a lot of our communities face. Mm -hmm. They're broken yeah. families. There's a residential school system here in Canada that was uh, very famous. I'm not going to get too much into that. But uh, also when you're working these very physical labor intensive jobs that you have to be pretty strong to go with and family members are gone for half the time there's just a tremendous amount of of grief and sadness especially when you're living in the cold dark you go a little cuckoo <laughs> sometimes yeah can you speak and we can speak to the different people in ennis like what are they all doing there i mean some of them are there because they are first we're not first nations because it's alaska but they're because they're indigenous and that's their that's Nubia. their land and yeah. they they're meant to be there but then you have the whole minor community who is there and then you have the scientists who are there and both of those communities are literally punching holes into the earth are extracting things yeah. from the earth and dean it occurred to me that i'm thinking and don't you know joel is not going to spoil anything for us but i'm thinking that she's awake i feel like that has to do with annie k and that somehow she, she her spirit has come awake whatever happened to her her soul has come awake and she's getting her revenge i don't know that's what i'm thinking but then on the other hand i feel like the first scene of the caribous you know killing themselves is kind of the same thing that the miners have kind of self-emulated with in the ice like it's kind of connected somehow anyway so joel's laughing at me like <laughs> no I'm, I'm i'm actually i just i love hearing people talk about their theories i love being involved in a show where uh people are reaching out i'm getting random messages sometimes from people too just throwing me you know theories online right and they're like i know this and this and i'm sure this you know and and, and it does crack me up i mean the, the the biggest thing the biggest laugh i got is that spongebob toothbrush is actually the yellow king and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and i think that's my, my favorite theory so far lisa it's so interesting that you mentioned grief and then joel you just mentioned trauma because lisa it struck me with episode two it became clear that Liz has a lot more ghosts than she cares to admit. She ribs Navarro in a kind of a racist way, always talking about spirit animals and this sort of thing. But she's clearly haunted by, presumably that's her husband that we see, and then her son, Holden. 
And of course, we see her in a flashback on the floor playing with Holden. And in the background, we can hear the twist and shout, which is why when she arrives at Salal the first time, uh, she's so triggered by that song. So we don't know exactly what it is, but seeing her with Leah's father, her partner or husband. So she's with, you know, a First Nations Indigenous guy, and yet she's so racist to Navarro. And and it's like, what happened in her that's turned her that way? I don't know. But she comes across as, she is tough and grumpy. And she's, it reminded me, I've made this comparison before, but Mayor of Easttown, Mayor was sort of worn down and grumpy and gruff, and she didn't change until she dealt with the grief. And we got that development of her at the end of the series where she's with her counsellor and she's in a happy place because she's finally come to terms with the suicide of her son. And I think that we're seeing Liz at the moment who's in complete and utter denial, yet she's being torn up by these ghosts that are in her past and she's just not addressing them. So it's, you know, manifesting as stress and and just the way that she behaves. She's yet to deal with it. She'll be a happier person when she does, but she hasn't done it yet. This case... It's going to be a shit bowl. No answers. Bunch of angry people. We don't even have a forensic technician. We should send this thing back to Anchorage. Thought that's what we were doing. Yeah, we're keeping it. Fuck Anchorage. Really? Hey! Three feet! Three feet! Hey, no photos. Delete that right now. Come on, Liz. They're just blowing off steam. Shut up, Hank. All right. Everyone, everyone. Stop fucking around. Hey, this is a crime scene. Aren't you pretending like you know what you're doing? Fuck's sake. Before I forget, Dean, there's a scene where Danvers has with the geology teacher, Bryce, you know, where she goes, she's asking him questions about Salal. And he's explaining to her that they were looking for some kind of organism, some kind of, you know, this organism that's going to, you know, save the world, you know, cure cancer and everything. And he says something, it was never going to work, right? Whatever they were doing was never going to work. So my theory is they found something that would work. And whatever it was that they got to make it work had a huge price. Like they paid a huge price for this. And that um, Clark, the the scientist that we know had the affair with with Annie, whatever it was, drove him mad. Because you can, I loved looking at his notes, the scribbling notes in his notebook. Oh, They're getting yeah. more and more crazy, almost like Jack yeah. Nicholson in The Shining. Like you know, yeah, all he's working no play. Into madness. He's, he's yeah. devolving into madness. So there's some kind of price to be paid to make it work. Uh, that's that's my thought. I don't know, Joel. Can you do you want to talk about that at all? <laughs> uh, yeah, I really, I really do want to, and I just, I, I, okay. you know, I. Okay, no problem. <laughs> I don't want to no like freeze yeah. frame on me and be like, oh, poker face is cracked here. You know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Lisa, to your point, season two, of, oh, I keep saying season, episode two was, it was sort of, uh, the way I thought about it was that it was an episode that you described. Some episodes are narrow and deep, 
right? I'm not just talking about True Detective, but anything, right? Sometimes you'll get like a bottle episode that just goes deep on a certain character or in a certain situation. But this one was kind of wide and shallow. So we got to learn a little bit about quite a lot of characters, about Navarro, about Danvers, about various people. And just the idea that Issa's decided to drop into this episode, showing us that Liz is, you know, she's she she was bonking the science teacher, she was uh, she's having a 19 year affair with her boss Ted, and then when she goes to see Kate McKittrick at the ice rink, and, and someone says something. I think it was Peter says something. Else, she doesn't look very happy, and Liz says, "Oh, it may, not, it may or may not have something to do with the fact that I might have slept with her husband." So Liz has only been there six years, but it was interesting that really both of the characters so. Navarro, Joel, uses your character almost like a sex toy, right? She comes in, she jumps on you, she has a, she she gets away, yeah. and then she oh, absconds yeah. like straight away, like with, with your toothbrush, as, as you've observed. And Liz is the same. She has these sort of interludes and then just goes back to work. So I think she's still, this is part of the denial of her not dealing with whatever's going on with her husband and her and her sons. But can I talk about the casting of Christopher Eccleston? Chris? Yeah, absolutely. Now, this is as a casting director. This is such an interesting choice for me. Was he Dean? Was he in episode one? I don't. Is this the first time we meet him? I think he was only in the photograph uh, that when Navarro says, "Oh, how's Daddy? What's her name going for?" Yeah, you know? I mean, this is such an interesting casting choice because Chris Eccleston, as some people may not know, is a British actor of huge renown and just spectacular but he's not who you might think of as being an alaskan chief captain of the you know there's a lot of other well-known american actors who you could have put in that role too so when i saw that choice it's just so interesting and that you know if you're going to cast him he's going to be significant you know you don't just just cast him for nothing and and i you know i think there's just got to be something more than that's going to happen with him to cast him in this role and and i do it's just an interesting contract contrast between how Liz, how they use each other sexually, you know, this long time relationship, and then maybe how Evangeline Navarro is kind of using you, Joel, in a, in a kind of a way is you're this part of her that's a comfort, you know, like you clearly, you know, she's comforted. You're a comfortable blanket for her to pull around her <laughs> when she needs it. But it's just, uh, there's a lot of parallels going on between these two women who are in such conflict mm-hmm. with each other, yet they both have very similar ghosts Yeah, in a way. I don't know. Yeah. Christopher and I uh, had a, a really, really fun conversation uh, just about, you know, who we are in these scenes being being used in ways mm-hmm. uh, and how we still uh, get our own, what we have our own uh, motives going going with that, of course, too. You know, it's it's as well. This is, this is a big turn for me, obviously. Like two weeks ago, no one really yes. knew who I was so much. And uh, now things are... Have, uh, have shifted greatly, so uh, I'm I'm finding it funny because normally I'd be on this side of your side. I want to I'd be picking apart things, and I'd be, and now I'm like I can't tell you. <laughs> I know, I, really, I, I know. really want to, but I. But I'll yeah. be emailing you later and, and being like, now what would you tell us? What's, what's now, Lisa, I was going to say, well, maybe we get uh, Joel back to do the uh, like a wrap up, uh, an epilogue. But I just noticed today uh, on IMDb. This whole series is only six fucking episodes, which means we are already one third into the show. I'm like, oh, my God, I assumed it would be 10 or 12 or something, but nope. So it's concentrated. That's tragic. It really really is, yeah. And I, I, spoiler free, but uh, reading through the scripts, I was moved to tears. I was Mm. absolutely moved to tears in in the end. So uh, that doesn't actually happen often for me. I'm the kind of guy that, you know, when I watch shows or I read, um, you know, just picking arbitrarily, but there's that, what is that series that just came on uh, season two at the after party murder thing? Mm-hmm. 
both seasons immediately five minutes in, I was like, Oh, that's the killer. And now we have to watch the yeah. whole thing. You know? yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, yeah. No, I do that too. Just because of, you know, I cast a procedural for eight years and I watch a lot of British noir. Mm-hmm. And so there, there are a few stories, you know, there's only like maybe five stories in the whole universe, right? You know, there's not that many yeah. stories, but there are a million characters. And so that's why I think when Dean and I, you know, do the show, we really pick apart the characters and, and then I have a thing about wallpaper and wardrobe. Like I'm, oh, talk about your wardrobe. Can you talk about that for a second? I'm just curious about, about the choices <laughs> of your wardrobe. Yeah, I wanted to steal every piece of uh, wardrobe that Kavik had. It, uh, it was mm-hmm. it was everything that I would normally wear too. Well, that's the know? thing. It uh, loops. I mean, I didn't notice your wardrobe, which is the best kind of costuming, mm-hmm. right? Because it felt so lived in. Did you get to choose the pieces, or what? What was the idea behind how? I mean, I think I I think you wore a, a lumberjack shirt, like a plaid shirt. I don't know. Am I, am I imagining that? I could understand why you just immediately get that image because that's the kind of thing that Kavik is all about. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I know, and I know in my uh, costume fittings, I had a, oh, you know, the, every, every uh, combination of plaid you could imagine shirts. I'm just looking at you right now. I think you have like a Henley on or something. I'm trying that's to. That's the one. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's okay, a, it's a gray. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm wearing a nice bathtub in that other one. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> some bubbles. I really tried to inject uh, where I could moments of uh, believable humor and, and warmth into into this because it's a very cold show. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, Kavik is, uh, I think he's needed medicine. So what other big moments, Dean, stood out to you in this um, in this episode? Now, normally, Joel, we go, actually, we go scene by scene and we pick apart every scene. Well, the only thing I wanted to mention was in Navarro's cabin. I mean, I'm in love with the art design and the, and the production design in this. I just loved the look of her cabinets. They looked so greasy. I yeah. could mm-hmm. smell like just years of... I know that feeling of, yeah, I grew up, again, nor- northern living and just... Yeah, when, when everything has that film on it. That film all over cooking. it. Yeah, yeah. Because you can't open up windows or anything. Like, it's too cold. Yeah, you know? right. It just right. It's all in. Mm. Yeah, it's always grimy. There, Yeah, there were, the, the set dress was incredible. It's such a good job. A couple of quick hits. Um, I've got, you know me, Lisa, uh, Joel, I I go kind of deep on things. I love to get into the minutiae of it all. So I could do another episode right now, another another hour. But anyway, real quick, there was a couple of things that stuck out at me that I call bullshit on. And one of them was when Danvers and Navarro. If you're going to talk about those AI posters again. I, nah. I, <laughs> <laughs> no, none of that. They're, they're, in, they're in the trailer where, which is the one that was rented by Clark for him and his assignations with Annie Kay. And First of all, I have mm-hmm. to tell you, I watched this with my wife and because we're Australian, when they said, oh, that guy in the bar that was in your bar and then Navarro knows that he knows something, she follows him up and he says, my cousin sold a trailer to him. And I didn't think anything of it. And now Australians picture a trailer as something you tow behind a car. that you, It's like a U-Haul, right? That's what you take stuff to the tip in. So then it was a, not until they got to this, you know, demountable trailer home that April and I just looked at each other and went... Oh, they mean a trailer. Okay. And so when he said my <laughs> my cousin sold a trailer to Clark, it turns out the cousin is Rust Cole from episode one of, of True Detective. That's Matthew McConaughey's character. Anyway, they're in the truck. Oh, wow. Yeah. I, didn't, I mean, I, I got that Travis was Rust's father. Correct. And so, by, so Rose, I don't know how if she knew 
his character. But anyway, uh, apparently, anyway. But the wait, thing and that, he said, wait, he died of cancer. That's what he says in the in the scene. He yeah, says, yeah. My cousin died of cancer. Yeah, afterwards. So he mirrors. So his father died of leukemia. I remember Rose said he finished his life. He didn't want the leukemia to take him. So Travis died of leukemia, and then Rust. It appears in after the the uh, the happenings of um, season one of uh, True Detective, he dies of cancer as well. That, that's uh, what I read. Interesting. And somehow this is going to be connected to the mine. I don't know. It's just connect. It's going to be connected. Okay. Anyway, this um, episode really, really deepens the connections between series four and series one. So. Just quickly, two things. The bullshit procedural that just went, that doesn't work for me. They're in the trailer. They've just discovered all this stuff. And uh, Luz gets a call from Peter saying, you better get over here to the ice rink. And she just goes, we're on our way. And they walk out. It's like, what would it take to leave that scene? Like you'd be all over that trailer. You'd have, they don't have forensics, but that's another thing. So that was another problem. She says, oh no, we're going to keep this case here when Ted wants to send it up to Anchorage and they don't even have a forensics tech. And yet so much of this would be about forensics. So that didn't, that didn't ring true to me. So that, that was some of that stuff. But then the other part that I thought was really cool and a definite callback to Silence of the Lambs was when Liz joins Peter at the rink and they go through that scene where she tells him, you're not asking the right question. You're not asking the right question, blah, blah, blah. That was her mm, tutoring him the same that. way that she was tutored in Silence of the Lambs, right? That was mm. her. He became the surrogate Jodie Foster character, the Clarice Starling role. That's the way that I read that. And it's also a callback to season one where there's a scene where when they're being interviewed by detectives um, Thomas and Maynard, and it's in the aftermath of what was going on, and and he says, you're not asking the right fucking questions, right? So he's telling them that they're not on it. But then the other strong, the, the biggest thing that just blew me away was the was when Peter, they're outside walking mm-hmm. in the snow mm-hmm. in a scene, and she says, what have you found out about who was funding Salal? He rattles off this thing that a shelf company, NC Global Strategies, and she says, ultimately, who's behind it is, is a, a, a family called yeah. Tuttle. Now, of course, if you watch Series 1, you would understand that the Tuttle family and their cult, oh, their right. cult, rape kitty porn thing that was the family that was at the center of that so now we've got the same family years later decades later who were funding salal and have been doing so for 19 years that wasn't dropped in there by accident we're going to see a lot more of that by the way yeah absolutely well as we come to the end of the episode the more that the block of ice is melting the more secrets are being revealed the more of the the bodies are being revealed the secrets are being revealed which i love that literal it's not even a metaphor it's an absolute you know what it is and so it's revealed that one of the scientists clark is missing so i mean it's just i just think it's masterfully written it's just revealing itself it's layers are being peeled off like the long underwear that everybody's wearing so i just love it yeah, I can't believe that. Uh, again, there's just so much that was uh, written and layered in there. Heck, you know, keep. I mean, I guess it's spoiler free if I were to say there's a line that uh, I'm going to get to say that I was like, oh my gosh, I get to say that. Anyway, <laughs> I'm very excited. I'm very excited. <laughs> just on that issue of uh, of what Liz called the corpsicle, uh, maybe a little bit TMI for people, but as the camera slowly rolls over that defrosting corpsicle, I just had the idea. Man, I got to give credit to the props maker on this film because the junk he's got on those guys as they're inverted and like upside down and stuff. I was just like, that is awesome. And I just had to think about the guy hunched over a, you know, like he gets the, he gets his, like his, uh, 
not call sheet, but he gets his you know, briefing on, okay, this is what you've got to do. And then I could just sort of had a flash on him hunched over a bench and he's got, I don't know what the hell they use for that clay or fucking, I don't know. And there he is sculpting the junk of these various guys. Mm-hmm. I'm like, imagine him going home and his wife's like, how was your day, dear? And he's like, yeah, well, okay. So this is what happened. <laughs> well, we can't wait to see more. Anything else, Dole, that you want to talk about, about anything we miss that you think we should, you know, you wanted to spotlight for us, any performance that, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, I want to, I want to actually, because what I've been getting a lot of is, you know, I find it funny that in these episodes, Kavik can't keep his clothes on so far. Um, <laughs> but a big shout out to uh, the new, what I hope will moving forward become the absolute standard in the industry with intimacy coordinators and uh, uh, Lucy Fennell did a great job. I want to shout her out again, because even in a scene for those like a cool behind the scenes thing, absolutely. She was there during the physical sex scene that we had, and maybe it's overcorrection in some cases, but she was there during even my bathtub scene. Mm-hmm. And that's very important. I think uh, a lot of people might not realize, you know, uh, very so important. Th- Comfort goes in different directions. And the fact that there was someone still there having my back, even in, in a scene as simple as that, I think it's uh, it's going to really help this industry going forward. Yeah. I mean, it's about respect. It's about boundaries. It's about, you know, not just taking for granted that some dude just wants to, you know, be naked in front of the crew. You mm-hmm. know, it, it's just about protecting your process and that you are an actor. This is a job and you're not there for just everybody in Video Village to be looking at your bum or whatever. I'm so glad that you shouted her out and I'm so glad that you're being taken care of. And, you know, nowadays, um, intimacy coordinators are also trauma informed because you could be triggered in a lot of different ways, no matter what gender yeah. you are, you know, being put in those vulnerable situations. Dean, did you have one last thing before we... Uh, just before we wrap up, I wanted to ask Joel to give our listeners a quick hit on his own podcast, which is uh, called Actors and Ancestors. Well, it's a it's an Indigenous podcast uh, for up and coming or already established Indigenous actors. I just uh, it was a podcast that I went looking for, couldn't find, and I thought, well, you know, necessity breeds creation. So um, I feel that it's one that I wanted to listen to, and that's what I'm really gearing it for. Um, Something where you won't have to hold people's hands when it comes to uh, Indigenous issues. I won't Mm. have to explain residential school or anything like that again and again and again. We're already there and we're just um, really trying to move forward with uh, our laughter that really is is our strongest point, I think. Um, And not having to focus so much on all of the trauma that's that's dominated media. So again, shows like uh, The Reservation Dogs were revolutionary moving forward. Uh, and I hope to see more of it. Fantastic. Well, we will put a link, not will, I already have put a link in the show notes. It's uh, actorsandancestors.com, but there'll be a link in the show notes. And just on the topic of show notes, just to wrap up for me, I've gone a little bit berserk here um, this time. So apart from Joel's podcast, you will also see a really cool interview at, of all places. It's on Games and ra- uh, Games Radar website, but it's a really cool interview with Jody and showrunner Issa Lopez. And just to give you an idea, folks, if you're not uh, aware of the process of production of this stuff, and even though we whinge about the fact that we have to wait six weeks to watch it because it's not bingeable, but for something like this, if, if it well, let's say it dropped and you just spent Saturday or six hours and you just binged the whole thing and you went, wow, that was really great. Where's the next series? In this interview, when the, um, the author goes out to meet with them on site in uh, Reykjavik, it was in September of 2022 and they were already in production so we're only up to episode two 
But that's how long it takes for this stuff to happen. So we went through 23, sorry, 22, then all through 23 in, you know, continuing to shoot. And I think it went till March to shoot. Is that right? Uh, yeah. Something like that. Was, yeah. Six months almost. Months. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. 180 days, I think yeah. it was. Um, and then post-production and then getting it ready. And now finally it's dropping, but that just gives you an idea. Anyway, that's in there. I've got about half a dozen links to various recaps from New York Times, Vulture, Variety. In the wiki of True Detective, there's a description of the whole Tuttle family cult. Um, and also a, a common question that I see on the boards all the time, what song was it when blah, blah, you know, is doing such and such? So there's a great resource. I think I'm the last one in the world to know about it, but it's called tunefind.com. It's crowdsourced, but you can go into True Detective and it will show you not only every song and the artist and the link to it, but also where it appears in the show. So there's like, you know, when Navarro's driving through the snow just before she sees the polar bear, this is what was playing. So that's really good. That's cool. Also, I know, right? It's really good. Yeah. Kaylee uh, Reese Wikipedia page, so you can learn more about her and her background in, in boxing uh, before her uh, acting career. And then finally, the wiki page on the uh, Dyatlov Pass incident, which is an infamous incident that happened in Russia 1950-something, where, Lisa, uh, 12, I think it was, Russians were found mysteriously dead. One, two had their eyes gouged out. One had their tongue cut out what? and one Whoa. had their eyebrows cut out. And it was never it's never been solved as to what happened. Wow, that sounds familiar. Yeah. Oh, I know. I, it's, it's, I just can't I can't get it. It's something anyway. So that's all in the show notes. So there's plenty to keep you busy after you've finished this pod in a few minutes. Well, Joel, I hope you have your visa ready, buddy. I hope you got your passport ready because you are gonna be in demand all around the world. I can't imagine that you're gonna have an idle moment and well deserved. I hope that I have the honor of casting you in something coming soon. I have a few projects coming up, but I'm definitely gonna be talking to your agents about your availability. But what I we're so happy for you and I'm so grateful that you just jumped on to talk to me this and i'm like oh my god he doesn't have a publicist yes there's a really good chance that i can get you on man once you get that publicist forget it yeah, i will never I'm, ever I'm be able to get speaking more. to one on thursday i think it is i don't know yeah, there you go. it's weird I, I don't understand this business i know how to act i don't understand this whole self-promotion thing or anything like that but well you don't have to worry about that somebody else is going to worry about that for you but keep your feet on the on the on the sweet ground. Just remember us little people, uh, okay, Joel? Future. But I have a feeling that you're somebody who's going to remember where you came from and remember who you are, no matter how bright the we lights never, get. We never forget it. It is such a pleasure to meet you. Come back anytime to promote anything that you're working on. Thank you so much. Thank you, Dean. Well, Tinegi, Lisa, Tinegi, Dean. Appreciate being here. All right. And for now, this is Killer Casting signing off. Killer Casting is a concept created by her, Lisa Zambetti. It is produced by me, Dean Laffin. Logo art by my beautiful wife, April Laffin. And our theme music, We Are Beautiful, comes from them. That would be Hollywood legends, Amphibious Zoo Music. Until next time, Killer Casting out. <laughs>